afternoon. It's good to hear the fellowship of believers, and when we come to a situation like this, um, we have mixed emotions, some emotions of loss, and uh, yet more emotions of gain. Um, Brother Don has gained an entrance to heaven, which before long all of us will gather at that same place. I've always seen him as a trailblazer, amen? 
um, a trailblazer. So he's trailblazing the path for all of us uh, to enter those portals of heaven. But we welcome you here this afternoon. It's a privilege to uh, take part in this service. Betty, family, thank you for the privilege and honor to, to share uh, just a few things here in this this service. And there's so many that's going to take part, And uh, but our prayers have been with you. Betty, I just want to say up front how uh, great of a helpmate you've been. And uh, you've been there by his side um, continually in these last days even. But I always think of Don and Betty. Uh, not just Don, not just Betty, but Don and Betty. And so we know this is a great loss, but also we know you're rejoicing uh, as well. So let us have prayer. Would you please stand for the prayer? Heavenly Father, we do gather today with mixed emotions. We've seen a friend suffer and seen a friend now go on to heaven, and uh, a family member, and yet, Lord, we also rejoice knowing that uh, he is where he has always wanted to be. Lord, he is now at the feet of Jesus. I believe the scripture verse when it says to be absent from his body, to be present with the Lord. And so we rejoice in that fact today. And Lord, as we go through this service, it is uh, a memorial service, but Lord, it's a celebration of life, a life well lived, a life that if any of us would look at this life, we would want to exemplify that. We would want to follow that. And what an example Brother Don has been in all of our lives. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity to celebrate this life. And we know if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, Don probably already prayed that, that already prayed for that soul to come to know you as a personal Savior. So Lord, make, make this a special day for Betty, the family, and for those present in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's four words that I would um, recognize Don Seymour with. The first word would be faith. What a man of faith he was to the very end. To leave the comforts of a church, to go to Papua New Guinea, to take children with him and, uh, and uh, minister as he ministered uh, there and in other fields and other avenues. A uh, man of faith, a man of prayer. If I ever wanted anybody to pray for me, it would have been Don Seymour. And many times I called him to pray for me and to pray for situations. I do know that uh, most of the districts had him do uh, prayer uh, caucuses and different things about prayer. And so a man of prayer, a man of service. He, uh, as you'll hear throughout the, the afternoon, the many things that he did to honor God and to build the kingdom, a man of service. But I would like to just say this, that if you knew Don Seymour, he was a friend. And I'm grateful that he was my friend, and he was your friend. And so just remember 
those terms today. And may we all, may we all function around those words of being faithful and to have faith, to be one of prayer, of service, and to be a friend. The obituary reads, Reverend Lynn and Daisy Seymour were Don's parents. They loved each other and each of their children equally. To them were born Donna Jean, James Stephen, Donald Lee, Frida Jane, and Bonnie Marie. In 1936, someone invited them to attend revival services at Circleville First Church of Christ and Christian Union. In that revival, both of his parents sought to be saved at the altar. Glenn prayed through to victory and drove home rejoicing that he was a Christian. Daisy didn't receive the assurance of her salvation that night, but early Monday morning she picked up Jimmy, who was nearly two years old. She held him in the old rocking chair while she prayed to be saved. After a time of earnest prayer, her faith reached the throne of grace. In that moment, the Holy Spirit witnessed to her heart that he had forgiven her sins, and she now was a child of God. With Jimmy in her arms and being seven months along with Don, she, she arose from the rocking chair shouting, and I believe that to be true. I've got it, I've got it, as she ran through the farmhouse. In her joy, she gave both boys a good shaking up and a real introduction to old-time religion. Two months before Don was born, they were nurtured by the dear saints, two months before Don was born, they were nurtured by the dear saints at, at First Church, and from them they learned that they should, first of all, have a family worship. It was during one of these times of prayer at age six that God whispered, Donnie, I want you to preach for me someday. He told his mother and daddy that what Jesus had said to him as they drove to church. These Christians also taught them that a growing family needed to memorize Bible verses and obey God's word. They also taught them that children can know Jesus as a savior and live for him, love each other and share their faith and tithe to the Lord. Don's mother loved to sing about God's love and saving grace. Donnie was six and Jimmy four. Uh, Donna was six and Jimmy four. She formed a trio with them and sang at every opportunity to glorify Jesus. When Don turned four, she took him on as a second tenor, making a quartet. That continued until his voice changed. <laughs> that was in seventh grade. Later, her youngest child, Bonnie, sang with her. One of their favorite songs was, and this is very appropriate today, On the resurrection morning, all the saints of God will rise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. They went to church every time the doors were open, and sometimes in between to sing in other churches, but they never seemed to get too much church. They would often play church and have Don to preach. In 1948, Reverend Glenn Seymour left the farm he loved to answer God's call to Dexter Road 3CU Church in the south end of Columbus. There, the children spent their teens, and Don began preaching at the age of 15. Now, this is an understatement here, I believe. In 1953, he met Betty Maddox at church, and they became good friends. That's got to be an understatement. 
They both went to a Christian high school, Mount Carmel School near Jackson, Kentucky. Often visiting missionaries spoke that they were and they were challenged by hearing about the great need for the gospel to be preached in other lands. After graduation, God led them to Kentucky Mountain Bible Institute where they became engaged and were married on October 7, 1957. Lord's calling was to two small churches in Cambridge, Ohio. He was invited to many other congregations, but this is where God led him, to Derwent and Four Mile Hill. After four years, a call came from the large Lancaster 3CU, uh, known as Faith Memorial Church. And then, just when things were going so well, the Lord gave Don and Betty an unmistakable challenge. I have chosen you that you should go the island of New Guinea. This calling was not just to the highly civilized coastal area, but the southern highlands where people still lived as in the Stone Age. This was in 1964, 58 years ago, and the prospect of taking three small children there were daunting. But the promise of God was clear. They would bear remaining fruit. So on the last day of October 1964, they left Columbus Airport with Martha, who was six, Deborah, who was four, Mark, 18 months old, and their son David was born in Garoka in New Guinea. And that was in 1966. They claimed the promise of God. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Isaiah 54:13. The harvest was ready and thousands of people eagerly received the message of salvation during the next 10 years. This turning to the Lord is still continuing to this day. Such rapid growth demanded many more workers, and God sent more missionaries. The expansion continues with medical, educational, Bible college, and most of all, evangelistic ministries. The next step was to the Caribbean, where Don was to assist the Christian Union Church of the West Indies and becoming independent from the mission organization in the USA and becoming a sending church. God has raised up leaders to fill pulpits in those islands as well as here in our country. In 1980, Don was elected to, uh, by the General Council of the 3CU to serve as General Missionary Superintendent. This was a challenging and exciting ministry which required the enabling grace of God. After 12 years in that position, Don served as district superintendent of the Northeast District of the church for eight years. This was followed by pastoral ministries in Florida and Ohio. Don is survived by his wife, Betty, of 65 years. Sister Bonnie Strickland, sister-in-law Janice Seymour, daughters Martha and Paul Adams, Deborah and J. Thomas McKay, sons D. Mark and Kathy Seymour, David and Laura Seymour, Grandchildren, Stephanie Oliver, Mary Ann and Alex Thomas, Caitlin McKay, Hannah Durrell Comedy, Lydia and Jeremy Massip Broomfield, Jared and Brittany Barnes, Benjamin and Liv Seymour, Leah Seymour, Jonah Seymour, Joel Seymour, Nathan Seymour, Ashley Adams, and Daniel Seymour. He also leaves six great-grandchildren, a host of nieces and nephews, cousins, and numerous friends in several parts of the world. 
thank you for not having me mention all of their names. <laughs> Reverend Donald Seymour could say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them who love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. This time, I would like to do something a little different. We want to have a, um, a gift that we want to give from the denomination. It's a grave marker, or you can even take it to a garden at your home to look at it and keep. But um, to do that, I would like for all of you that have served with Don, maybe he has ministered to you, uh, to just come forward and stand in front of the casket very quickly. If you have served, and Dan, I'd like for you to come to the platform with me. If you've served with him, Dan Schaefer's here, David Latimer, Michael Tipton, um, the rest just stand here in front if you would in front of the casket as we give this special gift and presentation Amen. why don't you turn and face the, the family let them see who's that you're here you've served with them have loved on I don't know how many times I've seen Don with David Latimer and Dan Tipton praying and praying for you, praying for family, praying for the denomination, praying for Papua New Guinea, praying for the ministry in the Caribbean. What a, what a privilege to have known him and be a part of his life. And these are here today to honor him and to say thank you for sharing him for this ministry this time. We have before us a gift that we give from the denomination, Soldier of the Cross, it's called. We'll have Dan hold that. Again, it can be placed at the graveside if you'd like to do so. Uh, again, you can take it home, do with it what you'd like, and to keep it. But um, on behalf of the Churches of Christ and Christian Union, we want to extend our deepest sympathies to you as a family. We rejoice in knowing that Don was promoted to glory. His contributions to our denomination and to the kingdom of God goes without saying. And we rejoice and appreciate so much your giving his time and his life to us as well. As you look at this marker, you notice the Christian flag. Christian flag there is uh, where the white represents the purity of a soldier of the cross's life. No doubt of Don's purity. No doubt whatsoever. The blue represents that through God's forgiveness, he's a member of the royal family of God. And of course, the red cross represents the blood of Jesus Christ that has saved us from our sins. And that is our roadmap. That is the trail for us to go to heaven. Amen. And so what a, what a rejoice that is. I'm going to have Dan uh, present that to Betty, and you guys can do with that as you please. But so thank, thankful for Don's life 
and for his ministry. I, I will say this in closing. And um, as we close, I, I knew Don before, and I knew the daughters there, Marty and Debbie at OCU. Uh, but getting to know Don, you know, he was traveling a lot, knew the name, knew him uh, a little bit in the uh, 70s there. And I went to the Caribbean, and he happened to be there at that time in uh, Barbados. And I went with Tony Headley and, and Joe Warrington, and uh, we were there that, that summer of 78 and had a lot of revivals and different places we went to uh, open-air services. And went into his office there in Barbados. And, um, of course, before that, he had shown us the uh, different waterways. Uh, one was the, the blue, blue waters, uh, one of the Atlantic and then the, the Caribbean. So we, we really enjoyed ourselves there. But I got to sit down with him just for a, a, a few moments. And it amazed me at how he spoke so well from his heart. And from his heart, he spoke about those people and their need to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That was an example to a young kid still in college. For me to say today that we need to be Great Commission Christians. We need to be pursuing the lost. And when we do that, we can honor this life known as Don Seymour. God bless you. you may be seated. It is hard to overstate the impact of Reverend Don Seymour on the worldwide ministry enterprise of the Churches of Christ and Christian Union. Numerous tributes have been received from around the world and each of them being moving and elegant. The family has asked me to share some excerpts from some of these tributes. From Reverend Joseph Atherley, Regional Bishop, Bishop of the Christian Union Church of the Caribbean. The name Don, name Don Seymour is synonymous here in the West Indies region with the highest level of commitment to Christian service and ministry. His passion for service and his love for people were exemplary. His obvious sense of calling and commission to selfless labors by his God served to make Don Seymour the ultimate model of a missionary. From Reverend David Chandler, Bishop of the Trinidad District of the Christian Union Church of the Caribbean. Please accept our deepest condolences on behalf, uh, or on behalf of the, uh, the district. His life and ministry have impacted our lives and the Christian Union churches throughout the Caribbean region. I salute his memory and legacy. Our love and prayers go out to his life partner, Betty, and the entire family. From Reverend Clifton Joseph, Bishop of the Antigua District of the Christian Union Church of the Caribbean. Greetings on behalf of the Antigua District. I extend to Reverend Seymour's family our deepest sympathy on his passing. Our dear brother fought a good fight and has set a very good example for us to follow. We in the Antigua District are very grateful for the time and ministry he did here. Now he has finished his race and we want to acknowledge that Reverend Seymour ran a very good race and kept the faith. So we say sleep on our brother, sleep on until we meet again. 
from Pastor Paul Imbel, Regional Superintendent of the Christian Union Church of Papua New Guinea. The church planted by Reverend Don Seymour in Papua New Guinea has grown in faith. The news of his passing was relayed to the church, and the church said, you go first, and when our time comes, we will see you in glory. For Mr. David Perkey of Papua New Guinea, Donald Seymour was a household name, and many of us remember him. He came to our country in the early 1960s as one of our pioneer missionaries. Everyone in our villages knew him by name, and he also knew almost every man that would call them by their names. May we never forget the joy and love he shared with us all. From Mr. McPhil Naga of Papua New Guinea. Thank you for your ministry in the Nimby Valley and Plateau. God called you to rest and rejoice in heaven. Without God, we should be living like hunters and gatherers, still fighting and killing each other. Thank you for bringing the holiness message to us all the way from the United States of America. We will remember you forever. Rest in peace, missionary Don Seymour. From Dr. Robert D. Pokai, president of Kentucky Mountain Bible College. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Reverend Don Seymour loved the Lord with all his heart, and he is enjoying the presence of Jesus today. The entire Mount Carmel School and Kentucky Mountain Bible College community express our deepest condolences for Miss Betty and the family. We love you and we are praying for you. May the grace of God be present in all your days ahead. Our community has been richly blessed by the life and ministry of Don as he served the Lord faithfully as our alumni president, a model minister, and servant of Jesus. We are grateful for his legacy and look forward to our heavenly reunion. And Betty had asked me just to mention uh, for anyone that would wish to honor Don that you can make a contribution to the Don Seymour Memorial Fund at the General Missionary Department. I want to add my tribute to Don. One of my enduring memories of Don is from the 2002 General Council of the Churches of Christ and Christian Union. There were some challenging issues to deal with in those meetings, but the Spirit of God began to move and bring unity in the body. Members of that council began to seek the floor and confess before God and their fellow delegates some hard feelings and actions for which they felt convicted. Some even asked to be excused on the spot to go make restitution. From where I was sitting, Don was seated in the front right of the auditorium. And I will never forget hearing Don with a voice that even Paul Harvey would envy in front of several hundred people, hearing him burst into this song of praise. We praise thee, O God, for the son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. It didn't take long before the entire council was singing with him, with each verse growing stronger. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and cleansed every stain. Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. 
Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Betty, Marty, Deborah, Mark, Dave, and the entire Seymour family, on behalf of the members of the Churches of Christ and Christian Union around the globe, our missionaries, both past and present, and a grateful denomination, we extend to you our deepest sympathies, our steadfast prayers, and our eternal gratitude for a life well lived. And to our dear brother, good night, Don. We will take it from here and see you over there in the morning. It is already on, okay, great. And I'd like to invite you, if you would like to, stand, and we're gonna sing Wonderful Grace of Jesus. The words are up here, no, right.
verse. Let's just pull out all the stops and praise our Savior. Wonderful grace of Jesus.
thought we were next, but come on, Darrell.
So thankful, Lord, it is well, it is well with my Well, praise the Lord. Are you next? Oh, you're next. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise God. Yes. That's okay. I'm Johannes Lethem. Originally, I'm from Dominica in the Caribbean. That's why I can represent the Caribbean today. But I also am from Boston. And so I'm representing the, Boston, the Massachusetts churches. And I'm very privileged to be here with you today. Thinking about Don, if he had his own way, right about now he's looking for his tool bag. Because he always liked to keep busy. Always a busy body. But I need to tell you a little bit about what I know of him and what he means to what he meant to me. I met Don in the Caribbean in Dominica. We just met. He was regional superintendent. Then I was transferred to Antigua and I got to observe him then. So we met in Dominica, but I got to observe him in Antigua. I was pastoring in Antigua, and we needed a parsonage, so he came up for a couple months to oversee the project. 
And once he landed, he got in touch with me and then asked me to come over to see where he was living. I got there. The girls were not with him then. Only Betty and the boys. And after we chatted a little bit, I needed to leave. And he got up and he said, my brother, we just moved in and I cannot offer you anything, but would you please have a glass of water with me? From that day, I began to, to develop a deep respect for him. You often heard that phrase or that expression, people matter to God. Indeed, they do. But people mattered to Don. He loved people. And every now and again, when I faced a problem or there was a great need for prayer, I would call him. I would call my other friend whom I'm sitting with right now, Dan Tipton. These two men I admire very much. So I met Don in Dominica. I observed him in Antigua. But when I came here to the United States, I got to know Don. One of our expressions back home is see me and live with me are two different things. So I saw him in Antigua, I saw him in Dominica, but I got to live with him even for a week at home. It started when he called me one day. I was living in the city of Waltham and I got a call, Brother Lethem. How would you like to start a church in Massachusetts? When that call came, I was on my stomach in my apartment praying for God's will. Because every empty building I saw in that city, I claimed them for a church, but I had no calling and Don called. And then through Don, Brother Tipton got in, in on the matter. And then we started the process of getting a place for the church. We got one. The living part with Don came when he came up to help me get that place ready. And day in, day out, Don worked sometimes to one o'clock in the morning in that building. He would say to me, my brother, I can see you are tired. You can go. He had a key for the house. So he would come in. One of the first things that happened Maybe the good thing or the wrong thing that I did when Don walked through the door with Betty, 
I said to him, make yourself at home. Well, he did. One day, one morning, we woke up and my wife, for a simple word, embarrassed. Because all the clothes that was in the dryer downstairs, my wife, even her unmentionables, were folded nicely on the table. So we woke up to find those clothes on the table. So I looked at Don and I said, what did you do? Didn't you tell me to make myself at home? I did. That's what I do at home. So he did. Don was a loving man. He loved people. He taught me to love people. Doesn't matter who you are. His heartbeat was like the heartbeat of Jesus. Missions. And every unsaved person to Don, that was a mission field. He knew people by name. And he would call me. If he missed somebody in the congregation, he would call me. I didn't see so-and-so. Or somebody was sitting up there. I did not meet them. Can you tell me their name? And he would pray for that person. We're going to miss him. Don was precious to me. Mark, Dave, Marty, Debbie, your dad is living a great legacy. He was loved. When I, am, I, I told the church I was coming, almost instantly everybody said, give them my all love. Everybody couldn't be here, but on behalf of the churches up there in Massachusetts, and especially my wife and Betty, we want to tell you we love you. We appreciate it done. And all I can say, so long, my friend. So long. Thank you, Brother Joannes. Before Joannes, we had the privilege of hearing, since you don't have a program and wasn't introduced him properly, he was supposed to give his name, Darrell, <laughs> our nephew-in-law, David's uh, daughter, Hannah's husband, Darrell, led us in such a beautiful number. It is well with my soul. Praise the Lord. I think everybody else you know uh, so far, but God has been good to our family, Mommy. In fact, he increased our family. As different ones came through the line today, they were talking about how great daddy was. And I said, well, yes, but he was just my daddy. And I am grateful that I knew that my daddy loved Jesus and loved my mama and loved us kids. 
And all I had to do in some very dark years when I started suffering with depression as a young pastor's wife in Alabama back in the 80s, it's Daddy, I need you to pray with me. And he'd quote, it's right back there on the wall, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 7, something, 2, I don't know, 2 Timothy 1, 2, something like that. <laughs> and then he'd say, as my brother Mark said today when he prayed over us earlier, Lord, we belong to you. That's all daddy had to say, and I was okay. All right, dad, bye. <laughs> but I praise the Lord for that knowledge, that, that example day by day. Yeah, sometimes we got really annoyed with his praying around the world, every continent in family devotions, uh, in the evenings, and we were so tired and we would end up asleep, some of us, on the floor by the time he got done with every continent. <laughs> he was so conscientious and so diligent, and he would be really embarrassed by some of the things we've already said today, just because he didn't know his own value, his own power of influence. And we just thank God that he was our daddy and our grandpa. Glory to God. And no matter who we are, we have influence on other people, don't we? My greatest heroes in this life are my parents. I think this, this is because they didn't just teach us about Jesus and right and wrong. Instead, they have lived their lives moment by moment in genuine, simple faith and trust in Jesus and in love for us children. In doing so, they have demonstrated the reality of Christ's love for us and for the countless others that they have encountered and embraced across the years with that same love. This is what has drawn me to want to truly know and live for Jesus. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. Well, thank you all for being here and just being with our family today. We appreciate this time to sit together and reflect and, and rejoice in what God has done through the life of our beloved one. This is a day of celebration. Well, I just want to share a quick story. It has been told to me. I have no recollection of it. But at some point when I was a tiny girl, I did something that wasn't right. And I had to be corrected. And I got a spanking. And my mom assures me that through my tears, I looked up at my dad. I grabbed his knees and hugged him. And I said, Daddy, I love you. I know I do. <laughs> 
And through the years, that has been a constant, just a love for a father who loved loved me and loved my siblings and loved my mother. I think very early on, we all knew that his love for God that compelled him to move, to leave this, uh, this country and go across the world and do all the things that he did, it was a love that God had placed in him to share with others. So we knew we had to share him too, but we knew for sure that he loved us. And when dad and mom obeyed the Lord's call and went to New Guinea in 1964, they took all of us, as my brother David said recently, they took us all on an adventure. And I wouldn't trade a thing. I'm so thrilled and grateful and thankful for what our parents did and invited us along to be able to have sort of that bird's eye view just to what following God when there is a passionate call on your life, what that looks like and how to follow him. Well, there are some standout memories from those years of my childhood in New Guinea. Daddy had nicknames for most of us. I don't, sis, you had a nickname? I'm not sure. But my brothers were shotgun and cannonball. I can't remember who was who. <laughs> and Dad always called me grasshopper because I would sit with my knees pulled up in bed and he thought I'd look like a grasshopper. I don't know. <laughs> um, but out there in the early days in New Guinea, the 1964, 65, finally about 66, the mission sent two Honda 90 trail bikes. And those bikes, Daddy also named them. They were Grover, and I think it was Donovan. Is that right, Mom? Grover and the two bikes for the two district superintendents, or the, the general superintendent and the district super, mission superintendent at the time. And Dad had great delight. He would ride us kids up and down. By then, a mission airstrip had been built, and he would drive us up and down on those motorcycles. And, um, well, we had fun. Your sis and I would sit on the back on the cargo carrier, and Mark would sit right on the seat in front of, oh, sorry, Dave would sit on the seat in front of Dad, and Mark would sit on the handlebars. And we would, <laughs> we are touring the airstrip. And then one day, he just magically, we thought the Ringling Circus had come to Caw Station. Here he goes riding the bike, and he's standing on the seat and balancing. I'm not making this up. You know, he, he was uh, doing acrobatics out there on the station. Well, then my brother Mark decided he needed to do that. Well, somehow, when Mom found out, Daddy's acrobatics ended very suddenly. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But you know, the most enduring memories that I treasure are the morning and evening family worship times. I mean, and it was on. We knew we were in for at least a half hour every morning, every evening. But it was always exciting, and it was always varied. And it was the Word of God, and it was alive. And the Bible stories became our story. And the teachings and the applications, like those are things that still, and the songs we sang. In fact, my husband, when we married, he thought he had joined the singing Von Seymour's, not the singing Von Trapp family singers. But, um, you know, we would sing, and those songs, the songs that he and mother had learned um, in the Kentucky mountains at the Holiness Schools down there, still the soundtrack of my life, and still the things 
the, the words of faith that keep me moving forward. I praise God for that. And then our sessions on memory, scripture memorization were epic. I praise God. I know Psalm 1 and Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 91 and many other verses of scripture because daddy just had the love and passion to share God's word with us so we could know the God that he loved and served. And, and then the prayers. We would pray. Sometimes, and it, it was a thing. Every, every day at lunchtime, Daddy would come in from the workshop, and he had been working hard. And while Mom was finishing lunch, he would lie down on the floor and put his feet up on a chair so he could rest his back because he always often had back problems. Or he would turn over and sis and I would go boom, 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 pound down, down his calves and up the back of his, to just give him some relief from tension. And we would run back outside and play after lunch, but we could hear, we could hear their voices and they were in at the dining room table and they were on their knees and they were praying. We had prayed in the morning, they prayed ahead of the afternoon and we prayed again in the evening. And friends, you know, in the book of Revelation, it says that the prayers of God's people, of those who believe in him, are like incense that rise before him. Mm -hmm. And so your prayers and my prayers are rising up and pleasing God. And you know, nowhere does it says they end, like at some point they expire. And I believe that the prayers of my father and the grandfather of the many people who sit here, my beloved family, and many of you, my father would pray and pray for you. And those prayers don't have an expiration date. They are still going forward. Amen. And I Amen. praise God that he is still answering. And that's why we are able to have so much joy. I told someone, you know, not to overshare, but between rejoicing that daddy is fine that he no longer has dementia, that he can move, he's not trapped in a body that stopped moving, you know, rejoicing over that and kissing his picture in my phone, I'm doing fine. I praise the Lord for his goodness. And I just want to say one final thing. My pastor, one of my pastors, Jacob Barker, said to me earlier this week that the other side of death, what we see here, the other face, is eternal life. And even though we are sad because we're gonna miss my father, we are so excited for him. And we're excited because we plan to go there too. And we're making our way. And friend, our journeys are all so unique. God loves us so deeply. And what we can do is just draw near. The Bible says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I just trust and pray that throughout the remainder of the celebration, you will just mm -hmm. sense how God is drawing you because Amen. he loves you Amen, Debbie. and nothing changes. Praise Amen. the Lord. Amen. Bless Amen. you, Debbie. That's awesome. My sister Marty, led by the Holy Spirit, said, Dave, you need to get up there and give an altar call. <laughs> <laughs> well, my brother Mark prayed over us as siblings and uh, it was referenced already. One thing he prayed was that um, that we would keep our emotions in check when we needed to and that we would release them when we needed to. And I'm the baby of the family, so I'm fully prepared to be the crybaby up here. <laughs> That's all unless right. you guys pray me through this. I want to honor my dad with a 
with a question. What are you hungry for in life? I didn't say lunch. (laughs) What are you hungry for in life? Where does your hunger take you on a daily basis? And how is your hunger for life satisfied? My dad had a God-given hunger to help give people hope. You know, we can say, do evangelism, share the gospel. But all that means is give people hope. My dad had a God-given hunger to give people hope. My dad is more than a little bit like Jesus. Amen? There's a Christ-like essence of how he lived his life that I cherish and love and long for. You know, Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, he orchestrated everything about that. He was in a territory that wasn't welcoming to Jews, and um, Jews sure didn't want to go there anyway. There were, there were tremendous divides. But Jesus intentionally went there. He shared the simple gospel of the reality of the rebirth and faith in the Messiah. And before she even professed the Messiah, she ran off to her community, and they came back, and Jesus stayed two more days. And it's like the whole community found hope in Jesus and found hope in the Messiah. And you know, in that, in that passage, the disciples come back from being out for lunch and they said, you know, Lord, uh, you know, aren't you hungry? Won't you eat? And in John 4, 32, he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Jesus went on to say in verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And so I'm just saying to you today, I believe under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, evaluate what you're really hungry for in life. Evaluate where your hunger takes you on a daily basis. And this is nothing about food. Evaluate how you satisfy your hunger. And just ask the Lord for the outpouring of a gift that says, God, I'm hungry to give people hope. Amen. This Amen. is a hopeless world, and Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen. God, make us hungry like my dad was hungry to give people hope. Amen. I got to talk to my cousin Kendra Wickline here today, and I'm just going to give a witness to this. And Kendra, would, would you mind standing up, or maybe you want to come tell the story? I don't know. <laughs> Kendra, would you stand up right there, would you? And uh, Kendra, Kendra was not walking with the Lord, Tim Wickline, my cousin, her husband. She was in the Sutherland's parking lot out here in Circleville. Dad, I think, was the interim pastor here at the time, maybe, and he saw Kendra, and and he went to speak with her, and she had recently received a diagnosis of terminal cancer, and Dad just went to her to pray for her, and I'm giving witness to the power of God here, so please hear it as, as, as you do and receive it prayerfully, but 
my dad, my dad just talked with her and said, can I pray with you? And she's been diagnosed with kidney cancer. And, and dad placed his hand on Kendra's back and just asked the father Come to on. minister healing to her. Come on. And she began to feel a warmth in her back. <laughs> Come and she on. knew something was happening. And yep. By her next doctor's appointment, a terminal diagnosis of cancer had disappeared. There was Amen. no kidney cancer. <laughs> that's a real and living hope that God is about in this world. Kevin, do you believe in miraculous healing from the power of God? I know that. You preach it. You live it. And you pray for it. Well, that's maybe the most incredible extreme story I know of how God worked through my dad, and he was just a man of giving hope. I'm going to pray for you. Tell me your story. I want to know you. I, you just, I want to engage with you, and I want to share what's alive in me. And, and I want to tell you one more thing. You know, we stayed over here in the Holiday Inn Express, and we're, uh, we're grabbing breakfast there this morning, and the, lunch, or the breakfast lady was there. And, I mean, I was there with her alone. And... I'm a child of God, uh, a, a servant of Jesus, and I'm Don Seymour's son. And left to my flesh, I didn't really want to talk to this lady. But by the Spirit's nudge, I talked to Sharon Blankenship this morning. And we just begin to talk. And, you know, I'm here for my dad's funeral, Circleville First Church. My grandparents were saved there. We're going to go have a funeral. She said, well, well my mom used to go to that church. I've been there many times. I know Pastor Jay Neff. And it was just a sign to me, David, David, ask the Lord to pour out on your life a hunger to give hope to people. I am the crybaby of the family. I'm not a coherent speaker or preacher. I practice verbal vomit Sunday to Sunday. Pardon for being so graphic, but I do love Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of my life. I'm just going to ask you, and this isn't an altar call. If you want to, would you say Jesus is the hope of the world? Would you say it out loud? Jesus is the hope of the world. And if you want to profess that faith today, wherever you are in the journey, would you claim it as your own and say, Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my hope. I'm thankful for a dad like Don Seymour, and I'm thankful for his impact on my life. And I want to live in that challenge of the legacy to love Jesus and love people. It's not that hard, is it? Love Jesus and love people, and God will bear his fruit through each of us. I'd like to introduce my cousin, Reverend Kevin Seymour, uh, since we don't have a program. <laughs> but Kevin has been a pastor with the Nazarenes for many, many years, and his daddy, Uncle Jimmy was my daddy's only other brother, and they both were preachers. Uncle Jimmy didn't necessarily have a, a license, but he could preach to anybody. And Kevin, we have watched what God has done in your life, and we know you're one of Don's boys too because you look like him, and uh, we claim you, and we claim all of our family 
You know, you all, Aunt Bonnie, you all let us go. Aunt Frida's family, you'd be there waiting for us as the airplanes came back in every four years. We we just, you all shared with us this ministry. You supported mom and dad's ministry, and we just were all in it together. We're just, I want to join Debbie in saying we're just so thrilled that you were able to be here with us today because we only got to do this one time for daddy and and maybe for mama but mama has been convinced that the rapture is going to happen before she passes so she's going to be 87 next week and and you know jesus has a little more time before he comes on the clouds we love you honey Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs> it's a privilege and an honor to be here today. Um, on behalf of the family, on behalf of friends and relatives that are here. I look back at my life when I was 17 and I had set my heart on going to law school. And, and I put my application in capital, was accepted, and I wanted to be an attorney. And then God started talking to me about going into the ministry. And um, when I told my parents that I don't think I wanted to go to law school anymore, I believe that God was leading into the ministry. My mom and dad are both the children of pastors, uh, Ermin Peters and Glenn Seymour. So they were both raised preachers' kids. And when I told my mom and dad that I believed that I was supposed to be into the ministry, they went, oh, no, are you sure? And... Uh, so I, they didn't mean to, but I didn't get a whole lot of encouragement from them. But, but I will know, I do know, I'll know something I'll never forget. It's when I first told my Uncle Don that I believed that I was going into, that God had called me into the ministry. And it, it was the simple words. He just said, oh, Kevin, that's wonderful. And that became my cheerleader to actually say, I'm going to go through with this. And, um, and I, I will always be thankful for my Uncle Don and the impact he's had on my life. He's allowed me to speak in churches that um, he has pastored. I've spoken here and, and the heritage that our family has here. What an honor that is. Uh, my Uncle Don uh, married me. He didn't marry me. He married my wife and I. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I wanted him to marry us. And, and he was the one who performed our ceremony. I never would have dreamed that the person who married me, that one day I would be a part of his burial. But I can't think of any other thing that I've done thus far in my ministry that I believe is more honorable than what the family has asked me to do today. Now, what you've heard most of all is about Uncle Don. And I'm just going to call him Uncle Don, okay? I was raised that way. You don't call him Don. You don't call him anything else. Kevin, you call him Uncle Don. So you can call him Reverend Seymour or Pastor Don. You just, you just make do. But I'm calling him Uncle Don as I speak here today. So what we've heard about my Uncle Don is about him. But before you leave, I believe that you need to hear what he would want to say to you if he were standing here today. I don't think that he would be speaking much about himself. But he would have a message for you. And whenever I do a funeral, I always ask the Lord, I said, Lord, will you give me a testimony or give, you, give me a verse in Scripture that could challenge uh, the loved ones and friends that are going to be gathering there? And, and, and I asked the Lord to lead me in this message. And, 
And he directed me towards a verse that I've never used. I don't think I've ever preached from it. I definitely have never done a funeral with it. But he just so clearly led me to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And just asked the question, what does the Lord require of you? Three things, to act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's pretty much the story of Don Seymour's life. He acted justly, he loved kindness, and he walked humbly. It's his biography. You know, in the Bible, our Lord, he wonderfully chose to often summarize a person's life with just one sentence. Many times in the scripture, Noah, the man of the flood, the You know, a lot of things could have been said, but his life was wrapped up in one sentence. Noah walked with God. Abraham, you know, he left his uh, home. He took his family to another country, and, and, and he didn't hesitate to even to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. A lot of things could have been summarized about Abraham, but Abraham's life was summarized in one simple sentence. He was a friend of God. Job, a lot could be say about could be said about Job's faithfulness and perseverance, but to summarize his life, it was he was a perfect and upright man. David, a lot of great things could be said there. A lot of bad things could be said there. But when David's life was summarized, we get the one simple sentence, he was a man after God's own heart. John the Baptist, great preacher, forerunner of Christ, baptized Jesus. A lot could have been said there to wrap up his life. But when his life was summarized, we read, Among those that are born of women, there hath not risen one greater than John. The widow who walked into the temple one day when others were giving gifts and some wealthy people were there probably giving thousands of dollars and she reaches into her purse and pulls out a couple of coins and the Lord described her life by saying she has done what she could. John, one of the 12 disciples, three uh, in the three uh, inner core disciples and John was probably closest. He wrote five books in the New Testament and his whole life was summarized in one simple sentence, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And even Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when Paul is trying to describe Jesus himself, Paul just wrote this, he went about doing good. Don Seymour, we could talk about his life and we could talk about the heritage that we've all received from his life and we will talk about those things and have already talked about those things. But if you really wanted to summarize his life in a sentence or so, I believe it would be Don Seymour, he acted justly, he loved mercy, and he walked humbly. Let's take a look at those just quickly. He acted justly. In fact, he acted. He acted. He did something to demonstrate his faith. He wasn't wasn't one that would hide his faith. To act justly, one has to be faithful to to love the laws of God. And the laws that Jesus narrowed down were what? To love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, soul, spirit, and body, and to love your neighbor as yourself, the, the greatest commandments. Well, Don Seymour was faithful to those laws. And in order to be faithful to the laws of God, in order to act that way, you you have to commit to being faithful. Someone may ask, well, what's required 
Kevin to walk with Christ. Now, do you have to be talented? Do you have to be rich? Do you have to be educated? Do you have to be intelligent? Do you have to be a pastor or a missionary? None of that is required to walk with Christ. The only thing that is required to walk with Christ, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, it is required of a good steward that he be found faithful. Faithful. And those that knew my uncle, they knew that he had this quality that our Lord required. My uncle Don was faithful to live as Christ uh, pointed out in scriptures to live. He was faithful to his friends. He was faithful to his relatives. He was faithful to strangers. He was faithful to his children. You've heard that. He was faithful to his wife. You've heard that. And he was faithful to his church and to his denomination. Uh, he was faithful. Don Seymour acted justly by living a faithful life. He also loved mercy. He gave his life to not only experience God's mercy for his own self, but he, but he led many people around the world to the knowledge of what God's mercy was about. See, mercy givers and mercy lovers, they have to live a cooperative life. And by, saying, by being cooperative is you cooperate with the call that God has placed on you. You cooperate with the giftings that God has given you. And pastors and, and missionaries, and yes, all Christ followers, when they truly love mercy, they want other people to know about it. They just say, I can't keep this to myself. People who love mercy, they soon realize they can't keep it to themselves. They've got to give it away. And then one realizes in giving it away, oh, I'm going to need help in doing that. I, I can't do it with my own abilities and my own skills. And, and in order to give it away, you're going to have to be cooperative. And we all understand that Don Seymour did not choose the life that God planned for him. God chose Don Seymour. God Don, and accepted that, but God chose Don Seymour. Why? Because I believe he knew that Don Seymour would be cooperative. The scripture verse that is signed in the, my copy of my aunt and uncle's book uh, is John 15, 16. It says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I mean, can't we all hear today, Don Seymour, even repeating the words, too, of the Apostle Paul? He, my Don, uncle was such a humble man. He would have said right along with Paul from 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with elegance of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. If the Apostle Paul didn't write that, then Don Seymour did. That's just him. My uncle, he loved mercy. And he was cooperative to give it away. Now you, you understand simply the word cooperative is really two words. It's co and operative. You know, operative means he did something. He operated. He worked. His work ethic of life, it flowed into every area of his life. Growing up on a farm, he worked hard. He worked hard with his studies. He worked hard to lead a home. And, and he was a good husband. He was good at raising up children. You could see that today. 
You can, he, he was good in serving the church. He was good on the mission field. He loved mercy so much that he realized, I'm going to have to learn a new language if I'm going to give away this great news of God's grace. And he soon realized that he would also have to walk miles and miles and miles without a pedometer. Who knows how many miles he walked in New Guinea, you know, and uh, just to give away the gospel of grace. Don Seymour loved mercy, so he was definitely operative. But the other word of cooperative is co. It means that he was doing it along with somebody. Not just his wife and not just the denomination, but God was his helper. And he, he, he was easy uh, to, uh, it was easy to recognize that Don was anointed, not by his own gifts, but there was an anointing on my uncle Don that when he spoke, you just felt like you were hearing from God. I'm sure it was the same way on the mission field as it was when I was his nephew and he would speak to me. It's like, am I hearing from God as he speaks to me? How does, how does one live a life that way? They do it with somebody, the co-part. He was doing it with the anointing of God in his life. If you're here today and you're thinking, oh man, I, I want to be like Don Seymour. Well, then commit yourself to acting justly and loving mercy and being cooperative and sharing whatever God has given you to your world. And then finally, my Uncle Don, he walked humbly. No argument there. No argument there. He reminds me of the verse that says about Saul and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 1. David said Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives and in their death. Did you get that? Don Seymour was lovely in his life. <laughs> but he's lovely in his death too, isn't he? John Wesley said our people die well. And, and, and the way we know that is what we've heard and what we've experienced here today. Don Seymour was a humble man. What caused him to live with this pleasantness that he had? Everyone knew uh, Don would not deny that, uh, that, uh, that, that, no one would deny that Don was probably one of the most pleasant people to be around. Did you ever hear him say anything negative? Maybe, I mean, you, maybe the kids in their years, but I, I don't, I, I know I never heard my Uncle Don say anything negative, negative about a person, negative about a church, negative about a denomination, negative about his bride. My Uncle Don was a pleasant man. He knew that if anything eternal was going to happen in his life too, then he, it would be the result. It was going to have to be God working through him. And he recognized that without God's grace, he would have been utterly useless. We wouldn't be here like this today if my Uncle Don was not a humble man. Because you, uh, the pride cometh before the fall, and there's no way we would be like this today. Don and Betty were told that at one time, you know, they could have stopped at the coast, but God brought you us, brought you to, brought you to us in the highlands to this unreached part of our nation. Who in the world goes to an unreached part of the nation? Who in the world goes to where the gospel has never been given before? Who would do that? Somebody like my Uncle Don and Aunt Betty, who were humble enough to say, I'm, we're just going to go and depend on God to provide for us. Only those who are walking humbly would, go, would have gone to that measure uh, with those who were living in poverty and physical poverty and spiritual poverty. See, walking humbly with God is, is of key importance when working with people of poverty or working with people who are less fortunate than you are. 
You know, too often people think that the poor have nothing to give and the poor have nothing to share. But I think that they would beg to differ. I bet I imagine they came back from the mission field saying, oh, we probably received as much as we gave away of the growth in their heart. There's no way that that's going to happen in their hearts unless they're walking humbly. Only the humble would lose all that they had in a fire. And instead of giving in to the temptation to quit and go home and catch their breath, Don humbly listened to the heart of his, of his wife when she said, we cannot go home. Revelation 3.8 says, I have set before you an open door, she told my uncle, and no man can shut it. I'd rather die here in New Guinea in God's will than to be home out of God's will. Come on, Aunt Betty, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll preach. Uh, only the humble can say things like that, and people, when they hear it, they know it's true from their heart. And so there it is, uh, the biography of, of my Uncle Don. Noah walked with God. Abraham, friend of God. Job, perfect and upright man. David, a man after God's own heart. John the Baptist, never born of a woman greater than he. The widow, she's done all that she could. John, the beloved disciple. Jesus, he went about doing good. And Don, he acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly. A lot doesn't, a lot doesn't have to be said about great people. Because great people, good people, they preach their own funerals. My Uncle Don preached his own funeral today. But you say, well, now what? Well, there's one more thing i got to share with you. Now what? You know, a lot of bad theology happens at funerals. Have you, have you noticed that? A lot of bad theology. Everybody goes to heaven at a funeral, it seems like. And, uh, but a lot of bad theology happens. So my Uncle Don would say, hey, you've got to be clear about heaven. There, as I heard from as I was a little boy, there's a heaven to gain or there's a hell to shun. You know, I don't know how many times I heard that. But the reality of heaven. Now, what I'm about to share with you are not my words. I'm going to speak as if they are. These are the words from a manuscript that I was given from my Uncle Don. And this is what he would want you to hear one more time before you leave. There is something really wonderful about going home. Who, who went home for Christmas this year? Anybody here? Who, who had loved ones come home from Christmas this year? So, so there, there's something really great about uh, going home. Many of you understand that joy, and especially going home to your father's house. There's nothing like going home to my father's house, though my father doesn't live here anymore, but I still love being with my mama. You know, Jesus often talked about his father in heaven. And he taught the disciples to pray to him there. And while Jesus thought of his father and, and he frequently communicated with him uh, in prayer, one day he began talking openly to his disciples about going back to his father's house. And he was going there to get a place ready for all the disciples and for all of the believers from uh, around the world uh, throughout the years, and he planned on us joining him there. Jesus could see that the idea of his leaving, it troubled his disciples. He knew it was bothering them. And so he tried to comfort them with these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I may mess this up, but I'm going to give it a try. You pella I know kin bell heavy, not ting ting plenty. They do okay? <laughs> you know, that's what my Uncle Don would say on the mission field. Literally, don't let your heart or your belly or your mind get filled with many things. 
he'd say in pidgin English. A literal translation of the language in Africa says, don't, give, uh, don't quiver in your liver, one song that's been said. <laughs> and the intent of Jesus in every language, though, was what? Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm coming again. I'm coming again. This isn't what life is. This is just a, this isn't it. There's another place. And my Uncle Don made this clear. Uh, the statement about his departure prompted a lot of questions from the disciples. Peter led the pack, uh, and then Thomas joined in, and then Philip and Jude raised a bunch of questions of their own. And friends, understand, those men were kind of earthbound in their thinking, my Uncle Don wrote. And, and they're, they're a whole lot like us when we talk about heaven. And they began asking strange questions in an honest and yet kind of a blundering way while they did. And in response to those questions, Jesus tried to open their minds to the fact that even though he would be out of sight, uh, he would, he, uh, that he would not be lost to them. His presence could always be real. They needed to grasp the closeness of heaven and the accessibility of the Father. I love those words my uncle wrote, and I would say, did you hear that? You need to grasp the closeness of heaven and the accessibility of the Father. You never have to live alone again. There's an old hymn we used to sing when I was a little kid. Uh, uh, never alone, never alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave us, never to leave us alone. You never have to be alone. And Jesus plans for every believer to be filled with his spirit and to have the benefit of his cleansing and his presence and his teaching and his power in their life. And perhaps heaven may seem like a faraway place to you or something that maybe not as real as what you've been taught. And you may be here asking today, where is heaven? Well, Jesus, in, in, in Mitch, as he talked about heaven, just in the book of Matthew, 37 times he talked about a place. Heaven was a place. In the midst of all of those that mentioned, he demonstrated that he knew where heaven was. Uh, while performing the miracle and the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked up to heaven and he blessed the loaves and, and broke them and gave them to his disciples. And, and the disciples then gave them to the multitudes. Jesus uh, was taken up into heaven on the outset of his ministry. In John 3, 14, we're talking about the Son of Man came down from heaven. And at the close of his ministry, he talked to them about the second coming. And he said, he will come in the clouds of heaven. I wish I could have heard my Uncle Don preach this instead of me. Uh, Paul understood clearly where heaven was when he said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. So where is heaven? My Uncle Don wrote, it's up there somewhere in God's vast universe. But it's real. It's real. If my Uncle Don could speak literally today, he would say, I know I, you've heard me say this, but he would say it with no more intensity or passion if he could say it one more time people it really is real it really is real prepare your lives for it so where is heaven but then he asked but what is heaven a hymn writer uh, wrote the songs there's a land that is fairer than day and by faith we can see it afar for the father waits over the way to prepare for us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, uh, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Friends, uh, heaven is the home of the soul. Think about that. Heaven is the home of the soul. 
You say, well, where is heaven? And you say, well, I, I would say to you, well, that's where Jesus is. And then I would ask you, well, where is Jesus? He lives in me. So we carry heaven around with us. Yes, we're going to a place called heaven, but as believers, as those who are committed to Christ, as my Uncle Don would say, oh, do you know him? You can live with heaven in your soul. You can know the peace of God that passes all understanding, and you can have heaven in your soul. Heaven is my father's house. Heaven is the house of many mansions and rooms. And what that is suggesting, it's, it's a place that's, that, that is spacious and comfortable and, and welcoming, and, and it's prepared for you. Heaven is the city that's built by the hand of God. Heaven, he writes, my uncle wrote, is an international city. I, I like this. John saw a vision of a great multitude which no man could number and all the nations and all the tribes and all the people and all the languages. Can you imagine this day? They were standing before the throne of the Lord and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches waving and they were praising God. Oh man, I want to go there now, but Lord, my wife may not like that right now, but uh, whoo. Heaven, heaven is the home of the redeemed. It says they shall be clothed in white robes. They shall hunger no more and thirst no more. Um, heaven, um, the heartbreaks of earth, my uncle wrote, will have no place in heaven. I'm ready for that. No more sorrow. God will wipe all the tears away from our eyes. There will be no more death and, and no more crying and no more pain. The former things have passed away and behold, all things become new. Can you even get your mind around this? And, and in that heavenly city, those who trusted uh, Christ as their Savior, they will be exalted and because heaven is also a place for rest. Heaven will be a place that is a reward for the faithful. Now, my Uncle Don, he wrote this in this message. He says, I, I want my loved ones to go there. And I want all of my friends to go there. And I want everybody I've ever known to go there. Are you going to go there? If you say, well, I hope so. I, I think so. Well, the Bible says I write these things so that you may know that you're a child of God. You don't have to go through life wondering, am I, am I not? Well, I hope I am, I hope I'm not. You can know. And to know that, it's like it sets you free to know that. Tia was a tribal leader in Leah Valley, and, and he, along with Kandul, gave their hearts to Christ. And, and this remarkable change came in their lives and into their homes and into their village because of their, the change of heart that they had. And on a visit that my Uncle Don had many years afterward, when Tia saw my Uncle Don, he called out, Simo Embe, Simo Embe, which is, let's go, let's go. And my Uncle Don responded, Abhor, Abhor, where, where? And he said, heaven, heaven. Don said he hadn't seen that brother in years, but the first thing on his mind was, let's go to heaven. Because he knew in his heart of hearts that it was real. So again, what about you? Are you ready to go to heaven? I've said this for years and I never knew where I got it from until I read it in my uncle's sermon. I thought I must have got that for him. 
Going to heaven, the assurance of eternity is as simple as ABC. Okay? You're going to have to admit that you've sinned. Mass confession. Who in here has sinned before? Raise your hand. All right? If somebody besides you didn't raise their hand, they're either asleep or they're a liar. Okay? Because we've all sinned before. Amen? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you've got to admit that. That's, that's where it starts. Lord, I've sinned. I, I have sinned. I've purposely raised my fist in your face, and I demanded to do life my way with my understanding, and, and I've kind of left you on the edges. I, I, I like the idea of you being my Savior, but I've never really liked the idea of you being my Lord. And so, yeah, I, you just got to admit that that's, that's a sin. B, you got to believe that Jesus died for your sin. Now, it's one thing to say, I understand for God so loved the world that he gave it. I, I get that. But you know, what got Kevin Seymour is when I realized that Jesus died for Kevin Seymour's sin. Not only did I have to admit that I sinned, but you got to believe that Jesus died for your sin. Yours alone. You've heard the old saying, and the church has been around for years, if you would have been the only one that had ever been born, Jesus would have died for you. He died for your sin. And then see, you confess that he's God's son and you commit your life to him. Hey, Lord, I've sinned. I've raised my fist into your face. I've demanded my own way. But Jesus, I now today, I believe that you've died for my sin. And Lord, because of that, I want to commit my life to you and I will live for you for eternity. Before I wrap this up with just one final thought, I want us to bow our heads right now. I want to make this a little more personal. When we say bow your heads and close your eyes, it's really just a time of privacy. It's really nobody's business except yours and God's. But I'm going to ask you two questions. If Jesus would come back today, or if your life were to be taken today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Now, I want you, I'm not even going to look. I'm going to close my eyes here in just a moment too. But if you know that for sure as a testimony, I want you to raise your hand as a testimony to God. I know for sure that if I were to die today or if Christ were to come back, I'm going to heaven. Amen. You can put your hands down. If you didn't raise your hand then, you can know that. You can know that. Come to the Father. How do you get to the Father? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, no one can get to the Father except through me. He didn't say that as a legalistic thing. He said that as a redemption truth. And I would encourage all of you to say, Lord, I want you to be the, not only my Savior, but I want you to be the Lord of my life. And it doesn't matter where you heard it last or heard it from. Why don't you say, Jesus, I have sinned. I've rebelled against your way. I've raised my fist into your face. And I've demanded to live life like I want to live it. Forsaking the fullness that you have for me. 
But Lord, I believe today that Jesus, you died for my sin. And I ask you right now, as I commit my life to you, to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. If you did that, amen, you can raise your hands, but if you did that, um, write it down somewhere today. Make a phone call somewhere today. Let somebody know that at a funeral uh, you experienced John 10.10. 10. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the end of that verse says, but God has come, Christ has come, so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants to give you that abundant life. Getting saved is not a ticket to heaven. Got my ticket. You know, I got baptized, bumped my head on the altar, so I'm good. Getting saved is about living the abundant life when he moves into your heart. That's getting, getting saved from myself, getting saved from my junk, getting saved from my sins, getting saved from my past, getting saved from my, oh, it, it's, it's about living an abundant life here on earth right now. That's salvation. Well, let me close by saying this. Um, today, it's a bittersweet time. It really is. But if you can kind of get your mind around this, can't we almost hear uh, the chorus of angels? Just try to think about that. This chorus of angels that are welcoming Don Seymour into eternity. Can you try to even hear that? And, and repeating what the Father had already said to him. Don Seymour, well done! Well done! Well done! And probably... Uh, I imagine my Uncle Don responding, Got enough! Got enough! Got enough! God is enough. And I would say to each of you, God is enough. My Uncle Don would want you to know God is not God and somebody else. Not God and a certain amount of money. Not God in the right house or the right car. Not God in the right education. God is enough. He blesses us with other things, but God is enough. God enough. He's enough. And that's the message I believe my Uncle Don would want you to hear today. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Don Seymour. We thank you, Lord, that uh, for those lives that he touched that we know about, but we also declare that heaven will reveal what today cannot he touched more lives than he was even aware of. And Lord, throughout eternity, I, I know that he will be made aware of how you worked through him to bring hope and to bring life and to bring abundance to each person uh, of every country, every tribe, every nation that he was a part of. You flowed through him to bring him this good news for all people. Lord, I thank you for those who were able to raise their hand with no doubt or hesitation whatsoever that they know for sure that if they were to die or you would come back, that they would go to heaven. But Lord, I pray on behalf of my Uncle Don for those who could not raise their hand. If they did not pray that prayer today, Lord, may they pursue you. Lord, may, may, they, may they recognize that you're in pursuit of them. Maybe that's a better way of doing it. We don't find you. You weren't lost. You found us. You found us. And Lord, I pray that everybody in this room today would be found. 
and live the abundant life that my uncle so desperately wanted to get around the world, the news of that gospel. Bless us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And um, I thought about uh, just a little bit, just the fact that uh, I got to experience uh, the leadership of Don Seymour in the twilight um, of his life 10 years ago uh, when I first, uh, first came here and was on staff. Um, he came at a time when uh, we needed uh, kindness and humility and love. Um, and he brought that and he empowered us um, as leaders. And so I'm thankful thankful for him, thankful for his love. Want to let you know um, that uh, once, we've, once we've gone to, uh, to Forest, to the cemetery, uh, that uh, the, the ladies of the church have prepared a meal for you over here in the fellowship hall, and we'd love for you to come and uh, just be a part of that. Share more stories together, will you? Love on the family together, but we'd love for you to come and just be a part of that following uh, that, uh, that moment. Could we stand together, please? Let's just bow our heads. Father, we thank you again for your goodness. Thank you, God, for just the witness of your spirit. Thank you, God, for a life that has impacted well, well beyond even our comprehension. But God, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the way that it changes lives. Now, God, may you help us as we go from this moment. I pray that you would bless this family. I pray that you would give them peace and comfort that passes understanding. But I also ask you, God, that all of us might go from this place desiring to emulate the things that were lived before us in Don's life. We love you, Lord. We thank you because you shone through him, and we give you praise in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Can I say thanks for the things he has done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory, to God 
his power. He has raised me to God be the glory for the things he has done. Just let me live my life. And let it be pleasing, Lord, to Thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. And with His blood, He has saved me. I'm thankful. His power, He has raised me to God. Be the glory for the things He has
They'll never make it But just look at us holding on We're still together Still going strong I give my hand to you with all my heart I can't wait to live my life with you No more sorrow. 
been a rolling stone all my life flying all alone flying blind I've seen it all I've been around I've been lost and I've been found but who I am with
If your trouble heavy hearted come to Jesus and find your peace If you're run down empty handed come to Jesus and find your strength He is hope for the whole Rest for the weary, help for the hurting, he is, he is. Mending the broken, bearing burdens, all that you're needing, he is. If you want 
Comforter, counselor, the prince of peace Author, maker of everything Defender, deliverer, king of kings He is, he is Helper and healer forevermore Savior and shelter through every storm My refuge, redeemer, the Lord of hosts He is, he is Child of heaven and son of man Provider, protector, the great I am Alpha, Omega, beginning and end He is, he is Home for the hopeless Rest for the Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black. 